Hello and welcome to the MIT Press Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Gondak, and today I'll be speaking with Alan Lockwood, the author of The Silent Epidemic, Coal and the Hidden Threat to Health. Alan Lockwood is Emeritus Professor of Neurology and Nuclear Medicine at the State University of New York at Buffalo. He is the lead author of a Physicians for Social Responsibility report on Cole's adverse health effects. Alan Lockwood, thank you so much for taking time to talk to the MIT Press Podcast today. My pleasure. The book looks at the public health issues around both the extraction and the consumption of coal. Let's start with extraction. Could you talk about some of the long-term health consequences of either working in the coal industry or living in the vicinity of coal mines? Every stage of the life cycle of coal is associated with adverse health effects. Mining coal is a difficult, dangerous job, particularly for underground miners. The dangers are much greater in China than in the U.S. Miners are also at risk for developing black lung disease. The prevalence of this disease began to fall after federal legislation designed to improve workplace conditions was passed in 1969. However, in the past decade or so, the prevalence of black lung disease has once again started to rise, particularly among underground miners who work in mines with fewer than 50 workers. This is almost certainly due to relaxation of enforcement of mine safety standards. Living near mines also puts health at risk. A study of over 16,000 West Virginians found that there were higher rates of cardiopulmonary disease, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, hypertension, and other conditions among those living in counties with the highest levels of coal mine. You kind of alluded to this in the answer about black lung disease, but are these health issues that one sees around the coal industry, are these just part of what you get when you mine for coal, or could they be mitigated if the coal industry was willing to spend a little bit more money on health and safety? Well, clearly, if uh, the coal industry, either voluntarily or by regulation, spent more money on improving worker conditions, uh, um, particularly the prevalence of black lung disease would once again uh, start to fall. Could you give listeners a sense of, I guess, how powerful the coal lobby is in America? It's a very powerful lobby. Uh, the coal industry and related electrical utilities that uh, burn coal spend a very large fraction of their uh, total expenditures on lobbying efforts. And they've been very successful in doing that with billboards, uh, television spots, uh, and the like, particularly in states uh, where coal mining is very, uh, very common, like Pennsylvania. So I, th I would think Pennsylvania, West Virginia, although reading your book, I ended up learning that of all the states in the Union, Texas actually consumes the most coal, even though it is not a coal mining state. Uh, that's right. Um, recently, though, uh, Senator Rockefeller from West Virginia has begun to recognize that uh, coal uh, mining and burning uh, places the citizens of West Virginia at risk and has begun to... Um, take a quite different position with regard to uh, coal regulations. Well, I talked at the beginning that this is a book that looks at both extraction and consumption. Let's talk about consumption. Most people probably understand intuitively that if you burn coal, you get an increase in air pollution. Are there some health conditions that can be dried, tied directly to the burning of coal rather than just say, you know, there's just been a general increase in air pollution over, say, the last 200 years, and you really can't figure out which, which particular pollutant is causing this particular malady? 
That sounds like a fairly simple question, but the answer is pretty complicated. Let's see if I can uh, simplify this. Uh, Let's take the case for small particle pollution. We know from epidemiological studies uh, that this is a major contributor to health problems of Americans, and we know a great deal of this pollution arises from burning coal. So deductively, one presumes that uh, large portions of the uh, small particle pollution problem are related to burning coal. This has been looked at uh, more directly by an investigator named Francine Leiden and her colleagues who drilled down on this question more directly. In a study in which they were able to separate the effects of coal-derived particles from those arising from other sources, such as dust from fields and roads and the like, they were able to show that it was coal-derived pollutants that affected health, and particles from the Earth's crust were not clearly linked to adverse health effects. Could you explain what clean coal is? What is the cleaning process for coal? Well, clean coal is a term that has uh, changed over the decades, and it was it was originally used to describe what you might expect, uh, the washing of coal after it uh, came out of the mine. Freshly mined coal contains large amounts of dirt and rock, and um, some uh, pollutants are, or contaminants, such as sulfur, that can be partially removed uh, by a washing process. Uh, and that washed coal uh, is then cheaper to transport because uh, its weight is reduced by some sometimes 20 to 30 percent, so it's more economical to transport. So that was the original use of clean coal, but that term now has mutated to describe carbon capture and storage techniques that uh, offer, in my term, from my perspective, the false promise of being able to burn coal and not suffer any of the adverse health consequences. Now, we've been talking about the airborne particles when one burns coal, but I also, the book goes into the fact that when you burn coal, it's not just the pollutants that are released in the atmosphere. Similar to when you burn wood, you have something afterwards The uh, for what it goes, coal ash. Well, can you talk about the, I guess, the issue around the solid waste of coal after it's burnt? Well, we burn about uh, one trillion tons of coal in the United States every year. And that produces about 100 million tons of coal ash that has to be disposed of in some manner or another. One of the ironies of uh, this situation is that as pollution control devices get better at extracting mercury, sulfur, uh, other heavy metals such as arsenic, which are known carcinogens, this coal ash becomes more and more toxic. So we have a huge waste disposal problem in the United States of how to do, what to do with this 100 million tons per year of uh, this toxic waste. Uh, thus far, the EPA has not uh, classified this as, uh, in any special category. It can be disposed of in almost any manner that you choose. So around the, the country, near every coal-fired power plant, Uh, there's usually uh, some kind of dump where they put this stuff uh, under differing uh, conditions. About two months ago, I visited one of these sites uh, in the tip of West Virginia, where West Virginia, Ohio, and Pennsylvania all come together, a place called Little Blue Run Lake. Uh, This is a lake, a a man-made lake, that's held back by a dam that's half a mile long and 400 feet high. 
and it's filled with this blue water that's dyed blue by the copper sulfate from the coal ash. And now uh, all of the people who live in West Virginia and Pennsylvania, many of whom get their drinking water from the ground, find that this uh, water from the lake is seeping up into their yards. And I met the uh, homeowners who had to leave because the situation was so terrible. Are they taking any action against the companies that are burning the coal? Yeah, the company is burning the coal, and uh, the homeowners have uh, banded together and are seeking redress. Uh, there are talks of suing them if they won't buy their property uh, outright. Most of these people are, you know, just sort of ordinary, um, you know, middle-class Americans who moved into these homes expecting to spend the rest of their lives there and now find that uh, that this toxic water is seeping up into their uh, property. It's, and there's no good way to keep that from happening. So most of them would like for the uh, first energy owner of the coal plant to buy their property so that they can move someplace that's safer to live. Well, your book focuses a great deal on the United States, but it's not exclusive. And several times you mentioned in the book that China actually made up with a bigger coal problem in the United States. Why is this? Well, China burns uh, much more coal than the United States does. Uh, it has a very rapidly growing economy, and there are estimates that place the bringing new coal-fired power plants online at the rate of about one a week. Uh, that's a lot. Um, in addition, a lot of the coal that's in China has very high sulfur content, uh, so when it's burned, it produces more of the oxides of sulfur that are toxic in and of themselves, cause acid rain, and condense uh, in the atmosphere with other chemicals in the atmosphere to form small particles that are so dangerous to health. So China has a much larger problem than the United States does. Uh, I was in China a number of years ago, and the minute I stepped off of the airplane in Beijing, you could uh, smell the, the, you know, the atmosphere reeked of the coal uh, uh, smoke from the power plant. And that was a big issue at the time of the Olympics, too. They shut down a lot of these plants transiently to make the air quality acceptable for athletic competition. I imagine in some ways it's a little bit like stepping back into what people said Pittsburgh was like during the turn of this 20th century with all the steel mills belching out smoke. Yeah, you know, it, it goes back further than that, back into the 1600s when uh, uh, one of the kings of England uh, banned the burning of coal. It was a capital offense, apparently. <laughs> Uh, last week, the U.S. Court of Appeals struck down the EPA's cross-state air pollution rule that was aimed at cutting pollution from cold fire plants. Could you talk about the significance of that ruling? Well, that was that ruling was a major blow to public health. Uh, as you said, the rule was designed to reduce pollutants from coal fire power plants that was uh, traveling downwind and affecting the health of uh, neighboring states. Uh, the EPA... Um, estimated that the cross-state rule would have saved between 13 and 34,000 lives per year. That's 13,000 and 34,000 lives per year. Prevented some 400,000 asthma attacks annually, 15,000 non-fatal heart attacks, and a variety of other costly health-related forms of morbidity. The EPA's estimate was that uh, 
the savings would be between 120 and 280 billion dollars every year, with costs of uh, 800 million, which was a pretty good return on the investment. But the courts uh, found that this rule was uh, didn't meet the legal standard, whatever that was, uh, and remanded this back to EPA. Uh, and this is basically the second time that EPA has sort had to start from scratch uh, on crafting a rule that uh, would protect Americans from uh, the ravages of burning coal. So finally, we're heading into an electoral season. What questions should American voters be asking their candidates for public office about coal? Well, the focus of the debate debate so far has been on claims and counterclaims about the future of the nation's debt and health care in America. Amidst this debate, the issues of pollution-related health have gotten lost and not mentioned at all. Last year, before the cross-state rule was tossed out, the EPA estimated that by the year 2020, the Clean Air Act uh, provisions would save 230,000 lives per year and save $2 trillion per year in health-related costs at a cost of uh, $65 billion. So candidates and voters alike need to be made more aware of the magnitude of the pollution health issue and the seminal role that burning coal plays. I mean, $2 trillion is a huge amount of money. Uh, And adding that to the annual health burden or the health cost burden is uh, a problem that Americans are not aware of. Alan Lockwood, the author of The Silent Epidemic, Coal and the Hidden Threat to Health. Thanks so much for talking to the MIT Press podcast today. Thanks for your interest. For more information about this and other titles, please visit our website at mitpress.mit.edu. Don't forget, you can find the MIT Press on Facebook, www.facebook.com slash MIT Press. Or you can follow us on Twitter, where we are, at MIT Press. Thanks for listening to this episode of the MIT Press podcast. Copyright 2012. The MIT Press. All rights reserved.